Open your Bibles to Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter number five, sorry. Acts chapter number five. Y'all thought I was going back to two and preached 14 more sermons, didn't you? But uh, I want you to go to Acts chapter number five, and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do last week. I'm going to continue this series of messages. I preached them when I first come to Hillcrest because I had a vision from what I don't mean I saw a vision. God gave me a vision and God gave me a promise for what we could be here. And all five of those things God has done here. He not only has done them, he's done them well. After they were done, there has been some tearing of it, but we are uh, thankful for all that God has done to meet our needs. And we started out in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, with a handful of people on that one, just that one little building up on top of the hill up there. And this was the verse of our church for 15, 20 years. Preaching, reaching, teaching. That was it. Preaching, reaching, and teaching. That comes out of Acts chapter 5, verse number 40. It says, in him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And here's where we get our theme. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about that last week, and to this week, we're going to talk about part two of that. I don't normally preach like this. I normally just do a running exposition of the text. Uh, I want to do, last week I did a topical text on preaching, and I want to do a topical text on teaching today. Now, remember this, we never should forget preaching, all right? I think we still need some old-fashioned, baby-throwing, aisle-running, hand-raising, hanky-throwing, snot-slinging, leather-lung, pew-spitting, Bible-loving preachers. I think we still need that. You said, well, it scares my kids. That You don't mind letting them watch blood and guts on all those shows and all those games that they play. That don't bother you. How can some guy with a Bible scare them? No, it's you, you, it's you. It's not those kids. Don't blame it on your kids. Well, my kids needs to be in the bed at a certain time. They wouldn't be there if you was home. Now they'd have Cheerios thrown all, all, all over the floor, hitting each other with suckers and everything else. You know what happens. So you need to expose your children to preaching. If all you do is bring them and stick them in the nursery and that's all they ever hear, I'll guarantee you they'll grow up and they'll be totally ignorant of what real Bible preaching is. And God said 
that we build the church. Now, this is what Jesus, this is this is in the fifth chapter of Acts. The church has just got birthed. We've got eight thousand one hundred twenty members in just a short period of time. We don't know how many days it was, but it wasn't very many days. It's just getting started. And he said, "Now, if you're going to be successful, you got to do three things. You got to preach, and you got to teach, and the reaching will take care of itself." So I want you today to stay with me as we look at this text on uh, the second part of that, preaching and teaching. And like I said, reaching will take care of itself. As early church was being established in Acts chapter 2 where it was birthed, when the Holy Ghost came and birthed the church into business, into Holy Ghost business, we learned that the Spirit-filled church was unified, right? We learned that the unified church magnified the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We learned that the unified church was multiplied. So those are three things we definitely learned. But now as we move through just a little piece, don't have to get too far into the church's life where we start to find Satan shows his ugly head. And first, he shows it in the church. And Ananias and Sapphira, God had to kill in front of everybody. And because of that, a whole bunch of folks got saved. I bet a whole lot of folks get saved if God kill a few around here. We might need that. I don't know. But that's what happened. So then the devil, devil didn't work from the inside. You know why the devil can't work from the inside? Because those folks were full of the Holy Ghost. If we'll get full of the Holy Ghost, the devil won't have a chance in here. And you know where most of the church's trouble is? In here. It's either in here or in here. It's not out there. They're not bothering us. You know why? They're not worried about us. They don't care if we exist. They ain't drive by with the Budweiser in their hand. You think it bothers them? No. Oh, there's a church. It doesn't mean that anymore. And here's the devil has come into the church and he's tried to disgrace it and he's tried to dilute it and he's tried to decrease it and he's tried to disease it and he's tried to destroy it. And so, folks, we are going to have to go back to the very early church and start doing what they did if we want to have a Bible church. Now, we can have some other churches, but... We need to have a Bible church. You say, well, they're disobeying the government, and we should never disobey the government. I got an email six months, eight months, I don't know, before I went, before I fell out in the, in the floor up here. I, I got an email and from somebody. She was ticked. In the, I mean, when, when you can tick people off in your introduction, you know you got problems. So I ticked her off in, in the introduction and, and, and left. And she was saying that we ought to obey our government no matter what they do. That's not the truth. Just because it's legal don't mean it's moral. And just because it's legal don't mean it's spiritual. It's not right to kill babies. It's not right for men to marry men and women to marry women. It is not right to drink alcohol. It is not right to do the things that's happening in our country, but we don't want to hear about that. We're too worried about Russian collusion. 
Now, you say, well, what is civil disobedience? I want you to write this down. I didn't deal with this, but I'm going to give you that, and then I'm gone on the teaching side. What is civil disobedience? Write this down. I'm going I'm to say it twice so you get it. Civil, civil disobedience is if what government commands contradicts what God condemns, I will submit or remain silent. We'll say it again. If what government commands contradicts what God condemns, I will not submit or remain silent. That's civil disobedience. And I I want you to know that today because I believe in the days to come that we're going to have to utilize that in our Christian life. I'm not looking forward to it, but I believe that day is coming. Can I get some amens on that? So let's look now as we, as we look at this teaching, preaching, reaching thing. That was our theme here for years. And we reach people and we baptize. I noticed just even this year, in this year, we led the association again in baptism. We, we've led the association every year now for I don't know how many years in baptism. And it wasn't a good year for us. Last year wasn't a good year for us, but we led the association in baptism. But do you know where the largest number of people were? In additions, all we're doing is swapping members. I'm grateful to God that we baptized 67 people, lettered in 25. We're we're the only one that I noticed that had the lopsided that we baptized more people than we got by letter. Now, we love to get people by by letter or statement or ever how we get. God sent us some wonderful people that way. And if you're here today want to join our church, just come on right now and somebody fill out a card for you, all right? We're good. But, folks, that's not what God meant to do in Lebanon, Tennessee. He didn't mean for one or two or three churches to do well at the same time, and a few, minutes, a few years later, one or two or three more do well. All they did was swap each other's members. That's not growing churches. That's staking them up. Listen, you can't leave wrong from one church and go to another one right. Mark it down. Where it's me, you, anywhere else. You leave wrong. I run in. I don't know how many people I've run into this week. Um, hadn't seen, I don't know when. And God just let me see them at different places, weddings and, and funeral homes. And, and, and uh, uh, God help, I went in Walmart one more time. And, uh, oh, Lord. Whew. Man, when you get out of there, you feel like you've been to Iraq. I'm telling you, it's something else. Uh, they need bunkers out there, but um, I, I just met all those people, and, and they, well, you know, well, you know, I, 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 I just dropped out. No reason, you know, I just dropped out. And I said, well, when are you going to drop in? I said, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. But it don't bother them to stay at home for 10 years. Something wrong with that. I didn't mean to talk all that, but I just... I want you to understand, I believe the church needs to keep preaching, but I also believe the church needs to be teaching. And so today we're going to focus on teaching, and I'll move on. There, the, teaching and preaching are actually uh, uh, an inseparable gift. 
a pastor that cannot teach and preach is not a pastor. He is to be able to preach. He is to be able to teach. I've heard people say, well, our pastor is not a good preacher, but he is a good pastor. That's impossible. That's impossible. And see, you don't have to be a certain kind of preacher. You just need to be a Bible preacher. But if you're a Bible preacher, you may not spit and slobber and run around like I do and others, others do. But if you have a Bible preaching pastor that don't mind looking you in the eye and telling you what you are and you need Jesus Christ, you've got a good pastor. And if he can give you some extra stuff in the side, that's all right. But God didn't call him to come see you when your toenails need trimming. Not what he did. Okay? Teaching, write this down. Teaching is informational. Preaching is inspirational. Teaching is instruction. Preaching is persuasion. Do you see the two? You put those two together. A pastor has to do both. He has to give you information, and he has to give you inspiration. He has to give you instruction, and then he has to give you persuasion. That's what a pastor teacher does. That's why that gift in Ephesians, even though the King James puts a comma there, it's not in the original. The gift is pastor teacher. One gift, not two. And so a pastor has to do both of these, and they're interwoven, where it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday, it doesn't matter. But teaching is not just a pastoral priority, but it's also a layman's responsibility. Our Sunday school is the greatest teaching arm that we can have. Just can't beat it. There's nothing better than it. Oh, well, we have uh, groups in homes. That's, I don't care whether you do or not. You cannot beat Sunday school. There's just something about Sunday school because the kids get to get together. And, and even they don't like each other. They like to get together and pull each other's hair. You know, they, they just, it's something about Sunday school to where kids learn things that they remember their whole life. And where adults ought to learn things that helps them to grow in their daily life. So we need Sunday school. Three things I want to talk about. The teaching, the teacher, and the teachable. First of all, the teaching is not minus the preaching. Remember, we all talked about that. But first of all, we need to remind ourselves that God's great commission included teaching. If you read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he said, teaching them what I have commanded you. So winning folks to Christ is one thing, that's good. And there he says, making disciples. Winning folks to Christ is a wonderful thing. But if that's all you do, it's like birthing a baby and leaving it outside. So you need to teach those that you reach so that they can go preach. And so that's what we used to do here, and we used to do it pretty good for a long time. And and so we need some teaching going back on understanding that teaching is a part of the Great Commission. Your Sunday school class, you're doing the Great Commission. Y'all believe that? 
That's what the Bible says. You can read Matthew 28. And you can get it. And so a teaching church and a Sunday school program is the best way. When you, you have to reach people at a certain age. From 21 to 40 is the age that we used to reach a lot of folks and still do reach a lot in that area. Why? Because they have children. 50 and 60-year-old, 70-year-old people, they don't have children. Or if they do, they wish they hadn't had children. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And, and here's what they do. They have little babies, and then they have a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger babies, and then, then they, they've got these uh, little 10, 11 that run around here and drive you nuts, and you want to slap them and kill them and tie them up with ropes and leave them here till next Sunday. And then you got junior high, and then you got your middle high school, and then you got your upper high school who knows everything even more than God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you have to teach, so you have to reach that age of adults if you're going to reach that age of children. And so that's what we set out to do. We have a ratio. Now, th th these are these are studies that's been done. There's a ratio of 100,000 to 1 after the age of 18. You're going to win. You have, a, you have an opportunity to win somebody to Christ 100,000 to 1 after 18. But it increases to 4 million to 1 after the age of 36. Isn't that amazing? You see, our mission is to reach people and do it while they are uh, I guess the only way to do it, the hard way. When, when they got so many things piled on their plate, we've got to reach them then because they need to put this on their plate first. This needs to be the roast beef on the table first. And we've got to somehow convince people. Did you know that, now, now listen to this, listen to this. Y'all listen to me? It takes 20 touches to one person to get them in church one time. 20 touches to one person to get them in church one time. You see why I'm so protective of this church and why I care about what happens that goes on in this church and why we do have a few rules around here and some things. Because listen, folks, these people are not easy to reach. Folks are not easy to get. And for 28 years, I've given everything I've got to get them and to reach them. And I tell you something, it didn't, it didn't come easy. And, and, and folks like Brother Royce that died, hey, it didn't come easy. Brother Larry up here, he did come. He, 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 when he was healthy, winning folks to Christ, he'd do regularly. He didn't come easy. 20 touches to one person to get that person in church one time. Now, what if you're having a Super Bowl party that night? It's 
So we need to make sure our mission is teaching. A survey also reveals that key leaders attend, and listen to this, the key leadership in most churches attend 39 Sundays out of the year. Last I checked, there's 52, some years 53, right? But key leaders in most churches attend only 39. That's 13 Sundays that they're out of their class. Figure it up, folks. Three months and over. No wonder we're not reaching and teaching. Because we don't have enough burden to even get up and get to church ourselves. Much less to get up and get across the street when somebody to Jesus. So listen to me. Uh, give me something else. Other leaders in the church, not the key leaders, but other leaders in the church, people like Sunday school teachers, they average attending only 26 times a year. Well, that's what we got assistance for. Yeah, I'll teach this Sunday, you teach that. I'll teach this Sunday. What if your kids all said, you come this Sunday, I'll come back. You come this Sunday, I'll come back. Before long, you don't have anything. So God says here that we ought to be on mission here and your church as you teach boys and girls where it's in this church or where it's in some jungle somewhere, I don't care where it is, teaching the Bible is a mission from God. We win them to Christ and then we teach them how to live for Christ. Any place according to Matthew 28, 19, all nations, all power according to Matthew 18 is given to us and ever present is given to us. That means when we go anywhere, anytime to where we have an opportunity to teach or to preach the word of God, God says, first of all, I will give you the authority that I have if you'll walk in the spirit. And not only that, I'll stand with you, right with you. Right beside of you. Why are you doing it? How, how many has ever sensed God just almost sitting on you while you're witnessing to people? Anyone whom God has placed in a position to teach the things of God can do that with absolute assurance of his power and authority and always be conscious of his presence. Our Sunday school has a mission to make disciples, to, 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 to make people who follow Jesus walk like Jesus walked, talk like Jesus talked, live like Jesus lived. That's our mission. Mm. You know, I, I like it here in, in, in Acts chapter 5 where they catch the apostles here preacher, pre preaching and the Bible says they, they put them in prison and, and the angels, Sadducees, see, don't believe in angels. <laughs> I like that. They don't believe in them, but the angels came and opened the door and let them out. And so what they didn't believe in, come and let them out. They couldn't figure out why. We looked in there. The guards didn't see anybody go in. The guards didn't see anybody come out. So they're out there doing the very same thing they were doing. And so 
Notice what Peter gets to do. He said, didn't we tell you not to do this? And he said, yeah, but you executed him. God exalted him. We're expressing him. And the Holy Spirit's exhibited him. He got to preach another sermon right there. And then <laughs> the Bible says they were cut to the quick in verse, verse number 33. Cut to the quick. You know, it hurts to hang, hang your nail on something and, and, and then have to, it rips your nail off and it gets down in the quick. I mean, it hurts, don't it? You see, that's what the Holy Ghost does. There's no cutting. There's, there's no blood. There's nothing nasty about it. But inside of you, you're cut to the quick. And that's what they did. So what did they do? They put them back in jail. Now, what is the mark of teaching? Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. I want to show you the mark of good teaching, of missional teaching, the Great Commission teaching. Let me show you the mark of it. If we'll do the very last thing that Jesus told us to do, if we'll do that on a regular basis, preaching, teaching, the reaching start taking place. I want you to look in verse number 26. Look what it says. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year. Oh, they must not have been in that study. A whole year they assembled themselves with the church. And taught much people. Why was I coming to church? To teach. And look, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's not a name we picked out. That's the name the pagans picked out. They named us Christians. Why? Because we follow Christ. So we're little Christ followers. And they, you know what made them Decide to call us that for a whole year we sat under teaching. I, I, I started to look at ours. I was tempted. Oh, you don't know how tempted I was. And, and during our Sunday school meetings, I do. And since our last meeting, God has blessed us and helped us with that. But uh, at Sunday school meetings, I look it up and, you know, we got it. We got the percentages of how many people's missed and how long they've missed and how many Sundays they've missed. Folks, let me tell you something. You miss one here and one here and one here. Next thing you know, they done added up. And kids still can count. You know, unos, dos, tres, cuatro, you know, they can, they, they can. They can count. And so we need to get busy and make sure that we're there in a, such a position that your neighbor every day if somebody pulled up and said, where are they going? Well, they must be going to church it's Sunday. They're not going anywhere else. I know where they're going. It's Sunday. They're going to Hillcrest on Sunday. They're going to be right there. Well, don't sometimes they stay at home. Nope, they're always at Hillcrest. Unless one of them's got the hooping cough for the itch or fleas or something. They, they always there. Never miss that. So y'all with me? That's the mark of teaching. The mark of teaching is consistency. Now I'm going to give you some staggering effects. Out of those who attend church 
5% never miss a Sunday. 15% never miss except four Sundays. That's a month. 25% miss 13 services. 25% of the attendance of the church attends 50% of the services. And 30% attend two to 10 Sundays. Now, I got to looking at that and thinking about our church. That meant we look for faithful people to be our teachers. So, as a result of that, if we're looking for that, out of that 5% growth, that means out of our uh, 644 in Sunday school, uh, enrollment 900 and something, uh, out of that, that means we've got 48 workers. Now, about eight of those or 10 are in the nursery trying to keep your babies and your children in safe shape, good shape, change their diapers, load them up with sugar, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, you think about that, folks. If we've got more classes than that, if we go down to the 15%, we've got four out of 4%, we've got 42. So we've got 32, if it was 644, have 96 out of the, if we went by enrollment. So our, out of our enrollment, we have 48 to work with, but we don't have the enrollment come. So working with the attendance, we've got 42 to work with. Now, if we take, if we take the, atten the attendance, and, and take the next group down, then we get um, the 15%. The we get 32 workers for 644 people. And if we take the enrollment, we get 96 workers. And I don't include Wednesday and Sunday night when some of our people are carrying extra loads and burdens and have for years. So, folks, I'm just telling you, if you want this church to be what God wants it to be and what it has been, there's going to have to be some preaching and some teaching. And when that happens, we'll see some reaching. I'm going to give this to you quick so get it. I got five minutes. First of all, your teaching ought to be structured. You ought not just throw out a big mess. You ought to structure it. When Jesus got ready to feed the 5,000, what did he do? Set them down in the ranks by 50s and 100s, orderly. God's not the author of confusion. All right? It'll be systematic. We use a lesson plan with a specific text to assure the whole Bible is taught. 
In a lot of our classes, we just do, use nothing but the Bible. There's still a son that keeps those old quarterlies. And, and, you know, I've never liked them. Never, I never have thought they was worth anything except a commentary at your house. But on Sunday morning, you know, leave them at home. Bring your Bible because your teacher's going to be teaching out of the Bible. Get what you can get out of them. Come get what you can get out of your teacher. Now, third, thirdly, it ought to be studied. When you walk in your class, well, I don't care where it's a baby class. If it's a baby class, you ought to have been praying for them and praying for their parents to get saved and praying for the things in their lives. I don't, I don't care which class it is. You ought to come in studied and prepared. Fourthly, it ought to be scriptural. First Peter 4.11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If you're going to teach, make sure it's the Bible. Not stories, not illustrations. There's nothing wrong with that, but that is not how, how small time you have in teaching has to be done. You have to teach the Bible. A quick illustration here, but if you open it up, say, anybody got anything to say? They always got something to say. And you most of the time don't want to hear what they got to say. Like me and Miss Grace was talking the other day, and, and somebody said, well, he prayed them into heaven. We don't pray people into heaven. We preach and they believe, and Jesus takes them to heaven. And so, I want, here, here's something else. The ministry of Jesus, when you look at that, first of all, in Psalm 71, just write these down because you won't have time to go to them. Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18, it tells us there that teaching and learning ought to go from our old to young. Our whole life we're to be learning. Number two, saturate your life with the Bible. I mean, saturate your life with the Bible. Thirdly, if you want to have a strong Christian life, Colossians 1, 28, Colossians 2, verse 5 and 8, it will stabilize your faith if you read the Bible. You say, I, I just don't have enough faith. I, I don't have enough faith. How do I have faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They get enough. Now look at the teachable. The New Testament word for teach is to teach where one learns. In other words, their definition of teaching is, is that they're teaching and the listeners are learning. Okay? And, 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 and they're to be meek, he said. But some can't be taught because they think they know more than God. And Psalm 32, verse 89 says the teachable or, or uh, the, uh, the, the non-teachable are stubborn. They're like a donkey, a mule. They're stubborn. They'll sit on you. They're not going to learn anything. They don't intend to learn anything. They come to church either without their Bible or don't intend to open the Bible, and they're not going to listen to anything if it just happens to get a little close to ticking them off. They're not teaching. People like that, you can't help. They're not going to listen. They're not going to learn. Psalm 86, 11 says, it's them that fear God enough to walk in truth that will hear. 
And Psalm 90, verse number 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Folks, we only have a certain amount of time to be in this world, and we need to make sure we use every second of it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss teaching your classes. Don't miss letting God use you somewhere. And look at the teacher. First of all, the teacher is in Matthew 5, verse number 19. I'm not going to read it. Also, Romans chapter 2, verse 21 and 24. But basically, he's saying, if the teacher is not going to live what he teaches, just quit teaching. You've got to live it, right? Not, not to be saved, but so somebody else might see it and God convict their heart. So, we size our teachers up like that, and then we select our teachers. See, not everybody can be a teacher. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 says that. Some could be, but they won't be a teacher. Hebrews 5, 12 says they're still on milk. Some think they're teachers, but they're not. 1 Timothy 1, verse 7. And some teachers are teaching, but they need to be stopped. And that's in Titus chapter number one. But here's what I want you to see. It's my last thing. I want you to see the song of a teacher. I want you to go to Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. You see, I don't know, but I, I like to hear my grandkids singing. And they sing when they're just sitting there by themselves, nobody around, nobody's listening. They're singing. Your kids are singing. You get in the car, your kids and your grandkids are singing. And, and, and you like that. You know why? Because they've been listening to the songs at church and they've been listening to songs in, choir, in children's choir and they've been listening to the radio, which you got on a Christian station. And, and, and they've learned some things through those songs. Now, some songs don't have any truth at all to them. But look at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That means it no matter whether you can sing good or not. Hmm. Y'all got that? Hand me a book, Travis. Is there an exit? Page 611. I want everybody to turn there. Here's one right here. You'll need one too. You're going to help me. Psalm 611. My wife sings while she sleeps. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I, I can't pick up on what she's singing, but she's singing in tongues or something. I don't know, but. She sings, and she sings all the time around the house, and, and, you know, that's just something that's pretty good. And God wants us to sing, but he don't want us to sing in error. He wants us to sing in truth because when we sing in truth, we're being taught. It's being embedded in our minds. Are you, are you understanding? The song we hear is being embedded into our minds if it's truth. 
If it's not truth, we don't need to be listening. But if it's true, look, listen, he hideth my soul. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. How many of you remember that song? You, you know why you remember it? Because we used to sing it in church all the time, and it got embedded into our minds. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. You know, see those those songs you don't ever forget because you learned something. What did you learn? You learned Jesus loved you. You never forgot that song. Oral Hershiser was a pitcher for the Dodgers when they won the last World Series. I can't remember what year it was. It was several years back. Oral Hershiser was a Christian or a professed Christian. I never know anymore. But they had him on the, this was right before Johnny Carson left the Tonight Show. And they had him on that, that night, so it's been, you know, a pretty good while. But still the world was pagan and ungodly and you couldn't mention the name of Jesus and you couldn't mention God and couldn't say nothing out of the Bible and everything, the jokes were all dirty and all that kind of stuff. But I stayed up that night to listen to Oral Hershiser because I wanted to hear what he had to say. They said, Oral, we noticed when you are pitching that after some pitches, you walk behind the plate and your mouth is a moving. And you walk around the mound, you turn around, you walk back around the mound, and your mouth is a moving. Who are you talking to? He said, I'm singing. I'm singing. He said, what are you singing? He said, I'm singing the doxology. Well, they didn't have a clue what the doxology was. And Oral Hershiser on Johnny Carson's show sung a cappella the doxology and when that show was finished, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, including Johnny Carson. Folks, things that's embedded in your mind. 